us to to allow you to make us a generation that seeks your face so that when history goes down the road and looks back that's one of the the things that they'll see about us not just a generation that seeks our own selves our own pleasures but one that seeks you and that Lord we know that our culture we can't make decisions for them but we can make decisions for ourselves and so we're here today to ask you to do a work in us that would transform us to the image of your son and that we would become that generation seeking your face we we ask your blessing upon our time towards that purpose towards the honor and glory of your son the lord jesus for it's in his name we pray amen um this has nothing to do with the session we're going to be talking about in particular today, but um, some of you may be familiar with the book The Love Dare, which came out along with a movie from uh, Fireproof some years ago, and I saw the book. It was actually given to me, and I thought it was just kind of more of a marketing, fluffy book, and so I didn't really read it. But when I did, it, it was pretty powerful. And uh, in the back, he's got a a checklist of things. It's called the locks and keys for effective prayer. Ten things that block prayer, along with the scriptures that, that teach what hinders our prayers before God, but then the keys that make prayer effective. And again, ten scriptures highlighting the things that God desires to see in us that will enable him to not only hear us, but answer the cries of our hearts. So, um, Timothy, would you just hand those around to everyone so they can put it with their stuff? I mean, this is for our time together uh, in our prayer as well as for our own personal lives. I hope that's a blessing to you uh, in your own personal lives. You'll turn with me to start with today to Ephesians 5. I've been asked to lead our thoughts as we go into prayer this morning for the families that the Lord would do a work of reviving our families. Yesterday, was our, our focus was on ourselves individually, that personally we would know the kind of repentance that is needed for spiritual renewal and revival in our own personal lives. But we want it to spread from individuals to families. And uh, I'm humbled by the uh, opportunity to be speaking on this, knowing that there are people here whose marriages are... Uh, uh, have much more longevity in as far as time than my own. And uh, my own family is still growing and progressing through the earlier stages of family life. But um, the Lord has put a desire in my heart to seek to be successful in this area. But I know that I have a long way to go. And so I pray that God would lead us and guide us together in his word as we consider this great topic. Ephesians 5 Starting in verse 14, it says, Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, and not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. 
I wanted to come back to this passage that the Lord put on my heart yesterday because there's a call to Christians to wake up, to not be asleep at the helm of our Christian lives trying to live day in and day out. I fear that in our society and even in the Christian church in our society, there's a sense in which we have fallen asleep in regards to our responsibilities in our families. And we can't afford to do that. Our society, our culture has departed from what used to be a commitment to the principles. Even if they didn't understand where it came from, they saw modeled for them and, and, and owned biblical principles for how a family ought to operate. Today, we can't even agree on a definition for what a family is or what a marriage is as a society. And so how can we expect that if we're rubbing shoulders so many hours of the day, our young people are rubbing shoulders so many hours a day with those who have absolutely diametrically opposed values and definitions for what marriage is and what a family is supposed to be, that the next generation is going to somehow magically own those values that we possess. We can't assume that. And so the, the admonition of this passage has really struck me. Awake. Let us wake up and not just uh, uh, assume that autopilot is going to accomplish God's desire for our families. He says, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. We need to, to purposefully arise and look to the Lord for the direction that he will give us. He says, see then you walk, that you walk circumspectly. And I remember as a young person, the picture being painted for me of, of, uh, of how a cat walks. And uh, sometimes if we visit Europe, you see more of these, the old fences, cement fences with broken bottles all across the top. And uh, no person wants to try to jump over those for sake of getting cut up. And yet here you see these little cats. Somehow they can walk right around those, those sharp edges because they're walking circumspectly, measuring every single step to avoid catastrophe. And we're, we're, we're challenged by the word of God. See then that you walk circumspectly and not as fools, but as wise. And uh, our desire today is that God would do that for us, to wake us up, to, to shine his light upon our own hearts, that we might pray for his own work within us, within the family that we belong to within the family of God as well but but in our own homes that we would walk circumspectly and not be as fools but wise redeeming the time because the days are evil it seems like I'm just ramping up but I realize my children are growing up so fast and the time that I have to help them to go through this stage to be ready for their own family life is fleeting away and he says redeem that time because the days are evil so do not be unwise but understand what the will of the Lord is. First of all, this passage goes on to say, don't be controlled by anything else. Wine, the way it takes over our mind, affects our judgment. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit control us and guide our minds in our thinking. Where does he go directly after this? The family. Wives, husbands, children. So there seems to be a link even here in this passage with with the importance of family relationships, with learning to wake up, look to Christ, walk 
circumspectly and redeem the time and understand God's will for us. First Peter 5. tells us be sober and be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and while we're going on our way especially if we continue to be asleep we have to realize our enemy is not asleep and he is prowling about actively looking for whom he may devour and our marriages our families our homes are one of his primary attacks in our culture today He knows that it was God's design from the beginning, starting when he only had one man on the planet and said, it's not good for him to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And he brought that woman to the man and the first home was established. The first marriage was was arranged and ordained and and overseen and initiated by God himself. And from that moment, we see Satan was there ready to attack and to destroy it. And to destroy them individually. And so he has not stopped. And we cannot stop to be diligent. To, to guard our homes. To guard our hearts. To, uh, to seek to protect them from the attack and the onslaught of the enemy. But it is possible. John says in 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we don't need to be afraid of the enemy. But we do need to resist him. 1 Peter 5, 9. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, may he himself perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Our God is there. He's a God of grace. He wants to help us in this time of need. And so we need to draw near to him that he may draw near to us and give us those clean hands and the pure heart that we might allow our families to be guided by him and his plan be the one that unfolds in our very lives. I was struck by a couple examples and thoughts of scripture regarding this protecting our family from the onslaught of the enemy. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in a passage that is addressing marriage and uh, a number of troubles that were being experienced by the church of Corinth in regards to marriage and the family life, there were those who were now married to spouses who were not believers and they weren't sure whether they should let them go, whether they should even send them away. And to put things into perspective, he said, no. If that unbeliever is willing to stay in that relationship, you stay in that relationship and you be faithful there. And he says this in verse 14 of that chapter. He says, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. How is it, he says, that this person who may want nothing to do with God has a sanctifying influence on their life because they are in your home? That's powerful. That gives us a reminder of the importance of our place as an individual in our families, no matter who we are, the children or the parents, whichever spouse, 
our presence there brings the influence of the Holy Spirit in some sort of sanctifying way into that home. Is it a guarantee of their salvation? No. Is it a guarantee that they won't end up going astray in their own personal decisions and course of life? No. But who knows what greater things could influence our home for, for, for disaster without that sanctifying influence that the Spirit does through the life of the believer in the home. It's important the role that we as individuals play there. In Job chapter 1, we see a man who lived in a very early stage of history. And God's description of him in Job chapter 1 1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. We see that his life was greatly pleasing to God. We see that he took his family life seriously. It says that uh, verse 5, when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify his, his children, he would rise early in the morning and burn, offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And thus Job did regularly. He was praying for his family. He was making intercession for them. He was seeking to do everything in his ability to try to to oversee the spiritual condition of his home. As a result, when the confrontation between Satan and God took place in this conversation, I'm just really struck by verse 10 in Job chapter 1. Satan answers the Lord and he's angry. He's frustrated over the blessings in Job's life. And he says, have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. There was a hedge of protection around Job's life that Satan had no access and authority to cross because of that relationship between Job and his God. And it didn't just affect him, it affected his whole family. And God is calling to us today to be men and women like Job who will have that kind of sanctifying effect on our families. That our lives would be such that, that there would be a, an, an M. I want to say impregnable. I don't know if that's exactly the right word, but a hedge around our homes that Satan cannot get around. Now, I see from time to time the, the influence, the, 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 the attempts the enemy is making to try to disrupt the harmony in our home. It doesn't... Uh, where were we reading just yesterday? Ah, someone read last night from 1 Samuel 7 where the Israelites were, uh, were spoken to by Samuel to get rid of the idols that were in their, their lives and to return to the Lord. And when they did, it was an interesting thing to note. Immediately it says that the Philistines heard of what the Israelites were doing as they gathered to the Lord at Mizpah. 
and they were right there to go up against Israel and to attack them. I thought, how, how much like Satan that is. Here we are trying to get our houses in order to ask the Lord to reveal things in our hearts and lives that need to be removed like those idols, things that are coming in the way of our relationships with God. And as soon as we do, let's realize the enemy is going to be there to attack us. And here we are crying out today to the Lord for our marriages and our families. And we have to realize that the enemy is going to be on hand to try to thwart every inch of progress that we attempt to make. But as they turned to the Lord in 1 Samuel 7, the Lord came to their aid, confused the enemy, and overcame them before their very eyes. And that's where we must remind ourselves Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And God cares more about our families than we do. And so he desires to help us. He desires to help us. There's a couple things that in particular we wanted to consider this morning as we consider the need for a revival in our marriages and families, especially in our culture. Besides being sober and alert to the need to the enemy's challenge coming against us as we look at ourselves. Challenges to being men and women who are blameless like Job. 1 Thessalonians 4 reminds us, starting in verse 3, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, and that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, who, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. God's will for us is for holiness, for personal purity, that we would learn how to possess our own vessels, our own selves in sanctification and honor, not defrauding others, but walking in holiness. Second Timothy chapter two would comment on this same concept, saying that in this in every great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, and some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, that is from the dishonorable things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, and prepared for every good work. He says, God wants us to be vessels of honor. God wants us to be separated from these things of dishonor, from immorality in our culture. I am convinced that immorality and pornography is one of the huge scourges of our times. And it is stealing away time. It is stealing away the hearts and the vitality of both men and women every single day. It's destroying our relationships in the home. It's destroying the spiritual focus and vitality of individuals every single day. It's creating a whole culture, a whole mass of lust-driven people thinking and entering into relationships with selfish, self-serving, evil thoughts. 
filling our hearts and minds and degrading the relationships that we have and the people around us more like things rather than people, not realizing the direction that the enemy is pulling us. Proverbs chapter 7 gives us an amazing picture of the immoral woman, the seductress, who it says the naive and the simple-minded are just passing by her part of the city, not realizing that all that go into her are on their way to death and destruction, like an ox being led to the slaughter. And I see both young people and adults were carrying around devices that have automatic access without having to go into the, the magazine parlors that you used to have to go in in order to find these things. And they're being piped not just into the privacy of our homes through TVs, but right into the palms of our hands no matter where we are. Not even realizing the tragedy that waits for the one who gets sucked into her grasp. Hebrews 13.4 tells us that marriage is honorable among all and the, and the bed undefiled. He desires for the marriage relationship and the intimacy of that relationship that he created. You read Song of Solomon and then you come to chapter 5 and the couple comes together and he says, Drink deeply, O lovers. Enjoy yourselves. This pleasure is meant for you. But to take part in that same activity outside the marriage relationship, to be, to be in the words of Proverbs, to be uh, 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 to be enraptured by some other person, that immoral woman, it says, why should that be you? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man. He's caught in the cords of his sin, and he shall die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. And it's just a, 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 an, an apt picture for what's going on in our society and in our families and our marriages. And, and uh, God desires to set us free. In Genesis 2, it says that the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And yet the shame of the perversion of what God has created is just rampant in our society and even amongst the Lord's people. But God is calling us to something better. 1 Corinthians 6 reminds us that uh, we have been, we've been given and betrothed to the Lord and we should not be giving ourselves to anything or anyone else that would take and replace his design for our personal lives and even our marriages and our families. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Um, we may not see the statistics exactly in our own congregations, in our own families, according to what society tells us they are. But according to the Barna Group, the failure rate of Christian marriages is, I'm afraid, not only the same as the world, but recently I think I've heard it's getting worse. And that's a great tragedy for the testimony of the Lord. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, we're reminded that this relationship of the husband and wife is meant to be a picture 
of Christ's relationship to his church? How is it that we are supposed to give the right picture to the world of the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us? If the two ways that he's described our relationship, number one, as our heavenly father, if our homes are falling apart. And the fathers are guilty of abusing their children rather than protecting them. And when it comes to the marriage relationship, and he says that the intimacy of the two becoming one, uh, Ephesians 5 ends that great passage saying that the, <clears throat> um, a man ought to love his own wife as his own body because the two have been made one and, and uh, the two become one flesh. He said, this mystery is great, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. When did he suddenly switch back to the church? But he's saying the whole picture is meant to be an analogy from the very beginning. And so it's important for the sake of the testimony of the Lord, much less our own fulfillment of his design in our lives and the ability to enjoy it, that we get a grasp on our marriages and our families. And so as we begin our time of prayer today, let us ask the Lord to bring a renewal in our own personal families, in our own personal marriages, in our own relationship with God himself, that he would bring us to a place of purity and holiness. They would bring us to a place of obedience. Children, pray for our children that they would be saved. Pray that they would be able to stand against the influences of the, the world, and the flesh and the devil around them. That they would learn to, to live the way God wants them to in obedience and honoring their father and mother. Let us pray as parents that we would not grieve our children just talking with someone this morning and he talked about how 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 easy it is and we don't even realize how often we may grieve our children without reason without realizing it without wanting to and we have to be careful and as husbands and wives <clears throat> even as we come together today Peter reminds us husbands if you he says, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. We need to seek the Lord and see where our relationships are not what they should be, lest we're deceiving ourselves into thinking we can actually move forward, that God will be hearing our prayers. And so let us, <clears throat> let us go to the Lord and ask him to help us. May I just conclude with a few thoughts from Proverbs chapter 4. I know I've been all over my thoughts. I've tried to go in a flow of thought topically that the Lord laid on my heart together. But he says in Proverbs 4, verse 23, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. And do not turn to the right or to the left and remove your foot from evil. We need to pray these things for ourselves. We need to pray them for our families. We need to pray them for the families who are not here today that would like to be. That together God would do a mighty work in our day and beginning even with us to become people who, whose marriages and whose families will honor him.